I'm just going to sit here. How you all doing? I'm, I'm actually going to be uh, preaching, sitting right here today. Hope you don't mind that I'm not using the pulpit. Um, but I'm a little, uh, little lightheaded and dizzy from uh, my tooth stuff, so I'm just going to sit. And, but don't worry, I can preach just as long sitting down, if not longer. Uh-huh. We're continuing on in our sermon series uh, through the doctrines of the Salvation Army, and we're, we're here on Doctrine 6, which says this, We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has by his suffering and death made an atonement for the whole world so that whosoever will may be saved. Uh, we ended last week um, almost kind of a downer sermon, if you will. It was all about sin and the state of the world and kind of depressing, and I, I promised you that uh, we would uh, sort of connect the dots and finish really off that particular doctrine this week with the, with the good news. Um, I'm a full believer that the gospel needs to be given and preached in balance. We need to preach about sin and its effects on the world, but we also need to preach about Jesus and his answer for sin. And we need to do it in balance because if, you, if people don't realize that they're sinners, if people don't know that they have sin in their life, then why are they going to seek out a savior? Um, but, but knowing the Savior also helps to, to highlight the sin that we have in our life and, and as the Gospels tell us to hold our sin captive through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we begin with just a little bit of a Jesus recap. A few sermons ago we established that Jesus was part of the Godhead. He was equal uh, in power and uh, with the Father and Spirit. We also establish that he is fully and properly God and fully and properly man. So Jesus is uh, uh, an equal member of the Godhead, the Trinity, but he is also properly man. And so in today's doctrine, uh, we're going to break it down into into three sections. Uh, We believe that Jesus has by his suffering and death, and so that suffering is going to be our first point, made an atonement for the whole world, And atonement is our second point, so that whosoever will may be saved, and the whosoever will be our third point. So if you're an A-type personality and you like to write things down, uh, go ahead and and write down suffering, atonement, and whosoever. So we're going to kick it off by suffering, and we're going to look at here the fact that when you think about the suffering of Jesus Christ, we sing songs about it, we read books about it. Uh, we have holidays celebrating it. But have you ever, ever like, sat back from a non-religious perspective and, and sort of thought how weird that is? Uh, we just sung two songs this morning about there being power in the blood. If you were apart from Jesus, that's a little weird, right? I'm not going to lie. Like, if you walk through the doors of a building and there was a group of people standing up, clapping along, singing, yeah, there's power in the blood. Like, I'd walk around and walk out, wouldn't you? Like, and if you're saying you wouldn't, then, then you're a better person than me. But, but it's interesting that the, the death of Jesus, we sing these songs about it, we make a big deal about it. Uh, and interestingly, it's the, the same in the, in the Gospels. Uh, the Gospels of Mark and John do not mention the narrative of the birth of Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you don't have to switch the PowerPoint slides. I've got it up here on my, on my iPad. Mark and John do not mention the narrative at all. Mark just jumps out, hey, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's get straight into this. Uh, 
John goes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and some interesting other things there. But none of them mention the angels. They, not, they don't mention uh, Joseph and Mary. Um, really, the, only, the other two Gospels mention that. Uh, John devoted over half of his Gospel to the story of the Passion. John, uh, in the first 11 chapters, is recording the miracles, uh, miracle after miracle after miracle. And then in, in John chapter 11, it says that Jesus then set his face towards Jerusalem. And that was the turning point in the Gospel of John. Everything from there on out was going to be about the death, uh, the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So half of his Gospel is devoted to that. Matthew and Mark devoted one-third of their Gospels to the Passion, and Luke devoted uh, uh, over one-quarter of his Gospel to the Passion. So when you're looking at purely the emphasis that Scripture puts on the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, there was a lot of emphasis put on it from the writers of the Gospels. Now, uh, I'm not going to go into the full full explanations of the sufferings of Jesus. I'm going to save that for Easter time because i got to use some material other times. I don't want you to think I'm repeating myself. But really, when you think about the suffering of Jesus, it actually breaks down into two major categories. He suffered mentally and he suffered physically. And I know uh, a lot of times we talk about Jesus and we talk about the physical suffering. We talk about the crown of thorns that was hammered into his head and the, the scourge that whipped him almost to an inch of his life and his physical death on the cross. Um, we talk about that a lot, but a lot of the times we don't talk about the mental anguish that Jesus went through. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, if you don't know Luke, what his background was, uh, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician that went around uh, and he was actually given money. He was given a stipend by a man named Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus just means lover of God, someone who had, had come to know Jesus and come to love the church and decided that there needed to be an orderly account of the life and death of Jesus. And so he gave Luke, who was a physician, some money uh, to go and record things. And so it's, it's interesting some of the things that Luke described in his gospel of the passion of Jesus, um, of being met some, some medical facts. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You might remember the story in the... Uh, call to worship that we had, it mentioned that Jesus was praying while Peter was sleeping, and it was done in a very nice and poetic way. But one of the things that Jesus that happened to Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane is that he sweated drops of blood. Do you remember that story? And, and a lot of times we think, oh man, that's kind of a weird thing, you know, sweating drops of blood. Uh, it, it's actually a recorded medical condition. Um, there's a, a thin web of sweat glands uh, actually behind the forehead that, that, uh, that pumps blood. Uh, sorry, a thin web of, of blood vessels behind the sweat glands. And what happens is, is when a person is experiencing an incredible amount of stress uh, in a mental capacity uh, and a physical capacity, when they're under that amount of stress, what can happen is you, your heart starts to beat faster and faster and faster and that those thin vessels, they can't cope with the amount of blood that's, that's pumping through them and so the blood vessels actually rupture uh, and so blood leaks into the sweat. And so, so whatever anguish Jesus was in, his mental suffering was huge. I just want you to imagine it for, for a couple of minutes. You know that every friend that you've ever had is going to turn their back on you and betray you. The, the best friend that you've been breaking bread with every single day for the last three years of ministry is going to turn around and deny that he ever knew you. 
one of your other good friends is actually going to be the one that's going to betray you to the Roman authorities with a kiss. The mental anguish that Jesus underwent, I don't think we talk about a lot because we we don't really want to acknowledge that Jesus was 100% fully human in the way that you and I were uh, are and that Jesus himself had to struggle with these betrayals from his friends. His suffering was also physical. Six agonizing hours being crucified. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. We believe that Jesus has, by his suffering and death, made an atonement for the whole world. So that leads us to the second point, atonement. It's a fun word, it's fun, and it's found in Scripture throughout both the Old and New Testaments. If you were going to read through the books of the law, you would find it over and over and over again in the description of how the tabernacle and then later on temple would operate. Uh, When you went into the tabernacle, you would go through the outer courtyard and then into the inner uh, holy place uh, where they would have uh, uh, an altar of incense and a table of light and a table of showbread. And the priest would make his blessings in there. And then one day a year, the, the high priest would go into a place called the Holy of Holies. And in that place, he would walk into the physical presence of God. And there would be the Ark of the Covenant and the cloud of God would descend through the tent and rest on the, the altar of the Ark of the Covenant. And do you know what that, that covering was called? It was called the atonement cover. And the priest had, who had sacrificed an animal would go in with the droplets of blood and he would sprinkle the blood of the animal on the Ark of the Covenant. The word atonement simply means covering. The process of atonement, however, actually goes through a couple of different uh, words uh, in the original Greek and the original Hebrew. One of the words, uh, if you were to open your Bible and and, and switch to, uh, let's say, an NIV version uh, as an example, um, one of the words that you actually won't see in Scripture is this word here, uh, propitiation. It's a good word, uh, but it's actually translated out of most uh, modern uh, English translations of the Bible because people don't know what it means or really what its a point is. And what they do is they actually sub in the word atonement for this word here. And so you'll find atonement more and more and more in English versions and this word less and less and less. And it's actually to a detriment. The word propitiation uh, means the shedding of blood to appease a wrathful deity. That's its interpretation. That's its, its definition. And so earlier on, uh, Bart read our scripture for us uh, in Hebrews 9.22 that said this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a direct correlation with the shedding of blood and the forgiveness of sins. It was something that Martin Luther called the Great Exchange. If you're a theologian, you might have heard of this before, but it's found actually in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, uh, meaning God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What this book, what this verse in, in Corinthians means is that everything that was good about Jesus Christ, he gave to us, and everything that was terrible about us was put on Jesus 
during his death. The sin that's in your life was put on Jesus during his death. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. He said that God exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness, his life for our death, his sinlessness for our sinfulness. And so that in the death of Jesus Christ, he has made an atonement and propitiation for the whole world so that whosoever will may be saved. And it brings us to our third point. It's the whosoever. Now, in our church, we are something called Wesleyan Arminian. I know, it sounds weird. It simply means that we believe in a, a certain doctrine or a certain interpretation of doctrine that was first articulated, one by guy called Joseph Arminius, and then later on by a guy called John Wesley. Wesley was the founder of Methodism, uh, and the Salvation Army was born out of Methodism. It's sort of like our grandfather's whatever, his way of articulating a certain view of faith. And in the Salvation Army, what we believe is that the grace of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins is open to anyone who believes. So when we say whosoever will, there is no cap on that salvation. There is no, man, but you don't know what I've done in my life. If you only knew what I had done, you would know that God couldn't forgive me. Have you ever had those conversations with people? Uh, I'm sure as Nikki and I are pastors, we run into those conversations probably a a little bit more than uh, people who are not ministers run into it. But, But you can still get that mentality. You can still meet people who think that they have sinned so much that there's no way it's possible for God to forgive them. And it's just simply not scriptural. Uh, everyone, everyone loves Moses from the Old Testament. Uh, you know Moses was a murderer? He killed someone, killed an Egyptian, and fled into the, the wilderness to escape the punishment under the justice system. So not only was he a murderer, he also fled from the authorities. David was an adulterer who also had someone murdered. And David is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Uh, the prophet Jonah heard the audible voice of God telling him to go somewhere, and he said, <laughs> no, nah, thanks, and ran in the opposite direction. I know about you. Sometimes when uh, there's a particular ministry on the horizon, and you're thinking, I don't want to do that. Well, at least I'm not as bad as Jonah, right? At least I didn't get into a boat and physically drive in the opposite direction, right? God says, hey, I need you in Roswell. I didn't hop on a plane back to Australia, Right? I'm not saying that Roswell is Nineveh. I'm just saying it was not a place I was expecting to be called to. Like, you know, you have your list and you're like, oh, I could go here, I could go here. And you get the phone call and they say Roswell. And you say, well, where actually is that? To be fair, that was my first appointment as well. When we were appointed to Bozeman, Montana, I was like, where's that? I didn't know. I wasn't too up on my geography. I'm still not too up on my geography of the United States. I can tell you where everything is in Australia, but not so much where everything is in the U.S. And so we think of some of these people of Scripture, and we say, we think, well, maybe they would just, maybe God could forgive them because, look, he spoke audibly to them, or his presence was revealed through their life and their actions, or maybe God came to one of them in a burning bush, and it was kind of obvious. And so maybe these people are just, just absolute you know, better people than me, but you don't know what I've done, so God can't possibly forgive me. Reality of Scripture is that 
God uses some of the absolute worst people to show that there is no limit to his grace and forgiveness. You cannot out the grace of God. Now, once you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you keep trying. Just want to be clear on that. Apostle Paul says that, that should we keep sinning so that grace may abound even more by, by no means. He, he literally says that, that some people, like, they're like, well, God forgave me of stealing the cookies, so I'm going to rob a bank and he's going to forgive me even more. I'm going to be even more blessed. That's not the way it works, okay? That's bad logic. Don't, don't go down that track. But what we believe in the Salvation Army is that God died for whosoever. You look to you, the person sitting next to you, to your left or to your right. That's who God died for. You walk into the bathroom and you see your face in the mirror. That's who God died for. You walk down the aisle of Walmart to the person who has parked their cart in the middle of the aisle and they're blocking you from going and they're just standing there staring and they don't move even though you do that really polite sort of like curve up to the side. God died for them too. First Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4 says this, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's something really happen, uh, interesting happening here in the Greek language uh, where you see the word all. Do you know what it literally translates to? All. It's not as impressive when I break it down like that, but it's amazing the amount of people who look at scriptures like that and say, well, yeah, it's all, but, you know, that person, man, hey, see, you don't know how much they said. They're a little bit of a sinner. Like, did God really die for them? Yes, absolutely he did. When Jesus was dying on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they're doing. In one aspect, he was talking to the soldiers who was crucifying him. Crucifying him. In another respect, he was talking to every sinner in existence. Father, forgive them. Your sin, no matter how great, can be forgiven. Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now this time I am actually going to give you an interesting uh, definition here of that word there, for. There are two ways you can look at that. Uh, If I said that my wife was sending me to the grocery store for some ice cream, the expectation is that I'm going to go to the store, buy some ice cream, and bring it back for her for her to enjoy. The other way that you can look at it is by saying, I am going to the store for my wife for ice cream. That use of the word for means in her place. So instead of my wife going to the store to buy ice cream, I am going in her place for her. Do you, do you sort of understand that, that difference there in that, in that? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died in our place. The reality of this doctrine of the Salvation Army is that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has, by his suffering and death, made an atonement for the whole world so that whosoever will may be saved. You are the whosoever. The person walking by the street is the whosoever. Your neighbor, your friend, 
person you go to school with, the person you work with, is the whosoever. And through your life, through the words that you say and the actions that you make when you declare yourself to be a Christian, can bring that salvation to the whosoever. God partners with us in salvation to bring salvation to people. And ain't that just amazing? And next week, our doctrine is going to be on salvation, so I'm not going to go too much more into that. But for this sermon, for today, the conclusion of the, the sermon on sin is that it doesn't matter that you're a sinner, born to it. It doesn't matter that you're a sinner by the choices that you make. You have a God who knew that and still willingly went to the cross and died for you in your place so that you could spend eternity with him in his presence. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We, th- we love you, and we thank you for the precious gift of salvation that is open to every single one of us through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that each one of us will never look at our sin and say, man, it's too much for you to forgive and walk away. But each one of us will know that our sins can be forgiven in you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the honor and glory. It's your son's precious name we pray. Amen. By way of benediction, I'm going to read this verse again. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's remember that today and every day. Amen. Go with God.